Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shyla. And this is Dark and Tipsy. You want to hear a story? there our fellow hunker downers hello hello how's it going we're back episode 15 exactly a special episode for us because we're back in person oh together same room probably six feet apart oh yeah no i think so we're still minding it yeah i mean and to be honest like Mm mm-hmm We have gone so long without seeing each other, and at a certain point, we have to get to a place where we're comfortable, Mm -hmm. and we have to continue the podcast, and we're going to have to see each other at some point, so hello, and I'm so excited. Me too. I'm so happy. I've I've been telling Shyla that I feel like. I just feel a little naughty, like we're breaking the rules, <laughs> like we're doing something we're not supposed to, because um, I literally have not been around friends since March. I've been around two family members, and that's it, so when she came over, I was like, I feel so weird. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it's um, I have a thing. A, I'm I've been around a few more people, but I've definitely missed Caitlin's company. I know, because I'm just like that bitch. <laughs> She's kidding. my bitch. Kidding, not kidding. <laughs> Plus, I probably sound ten times better on the actual equipment instead of on a Skype call. Yes, you do. Oh you my sound gosh. fabulous. Oh. I can hear you so clearly, and there's no background noise. Exactly. It's no fabulous. internet um uh, connection Disruptions. errors. Now yeah. Okay, so Spectrum has not been holding me down lately. So if we have that same issue, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what happened. But we have no internet connections when it comes to Shiloh being far away. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> But sure. I don't think that'll be a problem because we've got all blue lights today. So yes, yeah. the modem's looking good. I think we've got <laughs> all of the connection we need. Mm-hmm. I'm so Definitely. excited, you guys. Yay! <laughs> Well, uh, so I already finished all of one drink Oh, and that <laughs> before might, we even got started. Yeah, that might be why I'm so excited because I've had two glasses of wine at yep. this point. So, you know, yeah, we're so, not sure how this is going to go, but, you know, stay tuned. Yeah, you'll find out. And so will we. But before we get too dark, I want to say our disclaimer. So disclaimer, we try to make light of some very dark situations. We mean no disrespect to the victims or their families. We like to believe we are bringing awareness by making dark topics palatable. If I can get it out. (laughs) But we make jokes about some sensitive topics. If you are prone to getting your panties in a wad, this probably isn't the podcast for you. Otherwise, for everybody else, we appreciate you. Grab your drinks and let's get this party started. Hey, yeah, yeah, party started. We've been partying for the last couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't tell, no, I'm pretty uh, intoxicated. <laughs> I started out with, um, let's see, what was it? Blueberry vodka, uh, cran grape, and the strawberry pineapple uh, crystal light squirt bottle, and it was delicious. 
Not necessarily keto friendly because I've been slacking mm-hmm. with the cran grape. Everything else is fine, but the cran grape is a little high in sugar. But see, now she's on my box wine because she ran out because yes. we've been having <laughs> too much fun prior to recording the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling y'all, box wine is where it's at in the quarantine. Not bad. Seriously, $10 a fucking box, bitch. You can't beat That's not it. Bad. Not right? bad at all. Okay. So I'm excited. What are you going to tell us about today? Okay. I have a story on the murderer, Jeffrey Franklin. Mm. Have you heard of I don't think so. The only Jeffrey I know is Epstein. (laughs) Or Dahmer. Yeah. Who we will get to, but you know. No one ever refers to him by his first name. Exactly. It's Dahmer, the people nomer. Mm -hmm. Nom, nom, nom. (laughs) (laughs) Never heard that, but interesting. (laughs) I hope, so. I hope some of you have, because then it I just makes snorted. me sound retarded. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sure they have. Yeah. So Jeffrey here, he is 17 years old. Okay. So youngster and a murderer. Ooh. Yes. So Jeffrey was in his senior year of high school. So obviously that comes with the stress of... High school, Mm -hmm. you know, fuck high school. You couldn't pay me enough to go back. Mm -mm. Everyone who knew me, knew me, me. (laughs) God, knew me from high school. Yeah, fuck all you guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't know me now. No, Mm -mm. completely changed. (laughs) God, that was 10 years ago. Oh, luckily, I skipped my 10 year reunion because of COVID. Oh, yay. Yay. I don't know. That's funny. You don't have to have the pressure of going to a reunion and seeing Mm -hmm. everyone that you don't like and didn't like then. Yeah, exactly. So fuck you bitches. But um, (laughs) back to the story. So it took its toll on his uh, delicate sanity. This says, you know, Mm. one spring night, his mind broke. So the pieces that remained of it were to plot together this sinister plan and he <laughs> he is just insane. I can't wait to post a picture of him later. I've got a picture I'm going to show Caitlin in a minute of this this kid who it, it's very very creepy. Hmm. So it was a cool spring evening. Jeffrey was on his way home to his parents' house in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, he had already kind of had these ideas in his head and wrote them down in a notebook, but they kind of started coming more together on his way home. It was like the, he was initiating, okay, this is, this is going to happen tonight. So his parents and his two younger siblings were asleep in their beds, unaware of what was about to happen. So... Yeah. You know, victims typically don't know. <laughs> exactly. Um, I guess they all didn't pick up on any of his mental whatever yeah. he had going on at the time. So, um, obviously, like it says that, you know, he was getting ready for college and all that other bullshit. So that was stressing him out. So whatever, whatever your excuse is to think you need to commit murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so he walked into his house. As he normally did. The only difference was on this night, he was holding a hatchet Mm. or an axe, whatever you want to call it. That's never good. Mm -hmm. 
He crept up the stairs into his parents' bedroom, and at the insistence of unseen voices, he says, killed his mother as she slept. Oh. Not your mama. Not your mama. Then he moved on to the other rooms and attacked his nine and six-year-old brothers. Wait, so nobody woke up? I guess. Okay. Wow. I guess not. As well as his 14-year-old sister, Sarah. Meanwhile, downstairs, his father was returning home, like, basically right after this had happened with the others. So his father, Gerald, arrived home, but no sooner had he walked in the door than when his son, his deranged son, had hit him over the head with a sledgehammer. Instantly killing him. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus Christ. Can I know. You, can you get hit with one and not die? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Insane. People, I don't. Mm, everyone reacts differently to blunt force trauma. But mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't imagine being hit over the head with a sledge, sledgehammer. Jesus Christ. It was, you know, obviously it was still really bad with the axe as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you think of a sledgehammer, it's just this giant metal hammer. I mean, it's whatever. Well, if you have, if you've ever picked one up, they're heavy as they're fuck. They're heavy as shit. Like, you go I to swing imagine. that and the force is not going to stop. Mm-mm, my little eight pound head can't handle that. <laughs> what he didn't know, what Jeffrey didn't know was that his younger siblings and the sister, despite numerous head and throat injuries, had survived oh, the attack. My God. So her, uh, Sarah, the sister, Timothy and Christopher had survived, even though they had life altering injuries, Mm -hmm. like they were bad. So their other sister, who was 11, Stacy, wasn't home that night. Thankfully, she had been staying at a friend's house. So the Lord, she was safe. Uh, Once the three siblings were sure that Jeffrey was gone. They ran out into the backyard and fell onto the ground, desperate and bleeding. Luckily for them, one of the Franklin's neighbors had seen them outside the house, covered in blood, and called 911. Another girl who had been passing by also saw Jeffrey coming out of the house, looking crazy and covered in blood. Oh. She ran to her own house and called the police. Well, thank God for nosy neighbors. Mm-hmm, exactly. When the Huntsville Police Department investigator Mac McCutcheon, sure, <laughs> arrived on the scene, he couldn't believe, obviously, what he was seeing. He said, quote, there was just a massive amount of destruction and abuse to the family. End quote. Jeffrey Franklin, Franklin had snapped entirely and had taken out all of his frustrations on his defense his defenseless loved ones as EMS arrived to stabilize the children. Police began to search for Franklin's car because they still hadn't had him. A wide eyed and gibbering Jeffrey Franklin was pulled from a smoking car and pushed onto the ground. Despite the cold weather, he was shirtless. He laughed and taunted onlookers. People who had gathered to see what was, and the people who had gathered to see what was happening. He looked and sounded absolutely deranged, but when questions, when they started to question him, he wouldn't admit to attacking his family. Hmm. 
Of course not. Like, I know. None of them ever want to take responsibility. So so this is the picture I'm showing Caitlin of him in the back of the police car mm. right after they found him. Is that's... that not the creepiest fucking kid you've ever seen? Yeah, that's really he's smiling and wide eyed like, like he is proud of what he had just done. Well, and he just looks very um, disassociated with whatever just happened. Yeah. Like, how are you s- smiling like mm-hmm. that? And you just mm-hmm. killed your entire family. So I'll post that later to the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. We're almost to 400 followers. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Oh, and speaking of, we will have hopefully have a video coming up soon of one of our top fans about um, the incident with the, uh, the, the, candle the candle that we talked about yes. in episode 13. So during our little break, mm-hmm. we kind of talked about, you know, entities. And if you have one in your house that this candle will either be knocked over, blown out, whatever the I can't remember what the specifics were. But if you want to know, go ahead and check it out in episode 13. And then we had a subscriber, one of our top favorite uh, little fans that we have mm-hmm. he told us dylan you guys have it's heard of, of us course talk about him yeah of course <laughs> duh um so he told us that he would be more than willing to do our little candle experiment with the ghost so we're here for it and we're gonna hold you to it dude so yes <laughs> he said i ain't no little bitch so okay we're gonna right. hold you to it all right we're gonna see what happens don't cry mm-hmm. when that candle blows out exactly because i ain't doing it in my house but you know <laughs> If you're brave, you big and bad, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it, boo. <laughs> so we might have some YouTube videos for you at some point yes. here pretty soon. Yes. So, But uh, anyway, back to the story. We kind of cut off there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Preuge. So it wasn't until the officers got uh, Jeffrey into the squad car that he began speaking to them about what had happened. According to Franklin, some, quote, evil being, end quote, whom ha- he described as possessing horns on his head had taken over his body and forced him to commit those evil acts. Sure. Satan. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) His strange recollection was only made more strange by the pitchfork he had scratched into his own chest. Uh, okay. Oof. Mm. That's weird. Uh, he had apparently been fascinated with the occult for some time, supposedly. Same. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, One of the investigating officers described the information in the books as, quote, very violent with overtones of a sexual nature throughout the material. There are religious themes, sort of an anti-God kind of themes that runs through it, end quote. Yet it was what he wrote about his family that was the most chilling. So he had his little diary. Mm -hmm. He decided to write in it, quote, no dad will be home at this time, and I'm going to be, comma, I'll wait by the front door behind the little hutch, and I'll hit him with a hammer, end quote. Hmm. Then, which was exactly what he did, obviously. He also put, quote, mom will be out on a walk. When she comes back, I'll have the radio playing loudly. I'll call mom in the room and ask her what's on the agenda for today. Then I'll kill her. And what about the brothers and sisters? Well, I'll take them. I'll strangle my little brother in his room and I'll lure the other little brother into his room and strangle him. End quote. Damn. So he just had this all planned out. Oh, yeah. 
then he says, quote, then my sister, I will rape her. Then <gasps> I will finish her off, end quote. Oh, no. Yeah. That's weird as fuck. Very. But he only mentions the one sister as if he knew that the other one was going to be gone or maybe he waited for her to be gone or maybe. something. It's like, why would you only mention one I don't know. And not the other. Unless he made it that morning. Maybe you know, he like, knew she was going to be gone mm-hmm. already. Maybe so. So those were not the plans that happened, obviously, but it seemed that he still managed to traumatize them for life. Clearly. Mm-hmm. But what led a generally normal young man to commit such a heinous crime As it turned out, Franklin had been seeing a psychiatrist for a combination of ADD and depression. He had been prescribed a combination of Ritalin, Prozac, and Clopinin, I think is how you say it. Mm -hmm. In truth, Jeffrey Franklin was a troubled teenager with some rather deep-rooted psychological problems, many of which could actually have been hereditary. His parents and friends just had missed the warning signs. I mean, this is this isn't obviously what I'm saying. This is all from a report who mm-hmm. I will cite at the end. No one knew at the time, but Franklin had been awake for 72 hours before committing the murders. Wow. And we just kind of talked about that, like personally, about, you know, different medications and how they affect your mental health mm-hmm. and how they can have different side effects with each and every person. Exactly. And you almost wonder if this was just a different time. So they didn't really know what to look for at that time and yeah. kind of didn't really understand, you know, what he was going through, what his potential could have been. Like mm-hmm. he was on the verge of possibly killing all of his family members, which we see happened. Um. yeah it's just really sad it's sad that some of these stories go back and you can see now from a different perspective like maybe this person had a mental health issue mm-hmm. and this could have been prevented in some way definitely unfortunately I it know. happened that way uh, he had been abusing the Ritalin and his lawyers contested that it was the drug abuse which pushed him to the total psychosis I'm sure, along with the being awake for 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Ritalin will make you stay awake for 72 hours. So mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, because I don't know if you've ever... I have never taken Ritalin. <laughs> but let me just say this. I've had a few friends that have, and they were up at 4 a.m. sweeping the fucking <laughs> oh, floor. Shit, like so, crack. <laughs> yes. Ugh. So that'll make you stay up for 72 hours. Actually, okay. Ritalin, I believe, is just like a medical version of meth. It's very similar. Like the way that it creates hyperactivity and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, according to them, he had no idea what he was doing. Whatever. <laughs> In the end, neither the prosecution nor the jury bought the insanity plea. He was charged in the deaths of his parents, Gerald and Cynthia Franklin, and the attacks on his two younger brothers and younger sister in 2001. Jeffrey finally pleaded guilty to the two murder charges and was sentenced to five life sentences. Mm. Thankfully. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of a loophole that could have worked in his favor. However, one that would mean he might not have to spend his entire life behind bars. Um, Under Alabama law, a person who receives a life sentence is eligible for parole hearing after 15 years in prison. 
in 2017, Franklin wrote a letter to the judges begging them to give him credit towards the sentence for the three years he had already spent in custody prior to his sentencing. In the letter, Franklin describes a fight with a much larger inmate that left him badly injured. Pity me, you know. He ends the letter saying, quote, I'm not really a bad man. I didn't mean to do what I did. It just happened. I have a hard time. No. End quote. Yeah. Mm-mm. I completely understand that mental health can drive you to do some things that um, are out of character for you. But I'm sorry, my depression and whatever could never make me kill my exactly. entire family. Like, they're just... You know, there are certain exceptions and things when it comes to mental health, but you killed your entire family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you don't get to say you just have a hard time. Or attempted to Mm -hmm. kill his entire family. Yeah, exactly. Thankfully, he only got away with his parents and not also his siblings, but... But still. He did attempt, too. Mm -hmm. Um... But the parole board doesn't believe that Franklin has a chance of winning his freedom anytime soon. Sorry. (laughs) There comes a burp from all the alcohol. (laughs) Uh, Doesn't have, he has, think he has a chance of winning his freedom anytime soon, regardless of time served. Technically, Franklin is not eligible for parole unless he's done three consecutive life sentences, which would amount to 45 years. Mm. Um... That's also not taking into account the severe nature of the crime and violence, the rage he felt, and the fact that he went and that he spent weeks plotting the deaths of his family members in his little diary. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't some crime. It was like more of a crime of passion or something. It wasn't Sorry, spontaneous. It wasn't just a crime of passion or something that he had done in a heartbeat, you know, heart, heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Heartbeat, y'all. Oh my gosh. We've had two weeks to drink. Here we go. <laughs> But as of 2016, he was denied parole after serving 15 years of his sentence. Yay. Round of applause for yes, that. Yes. Thankfully. Um, all this came from LifeDaily.com. And that's pretty much all we have on Jeffrey Franklin. But it is an interesting story there. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to tie in a drink of the week because we do kind of want to get back to our drinks. You know, obviously, dark mm-hmm. and tipsy. But the only one we could find that was, they say it was called the sledgehammer. It was not. I mean, it's basically, um, what do we call it? What was it actually called? Ooh, screwdriver. God. Screwdriver, yes. Mm-hmm. Except they said squeeze a little lime juice in there. So, no. Mm. I didn't feel like doing that. Yeah. And I think we've kind of decided from now on, we're going to work in a drink of the week, just kind of how we have. We've become, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you want to be, here's the real tea. If you want to be honest, we've gotten lazy. Um, We don't like making drinks every fucking week because we're not bartenders. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so cut us a break. So we have decided that we really kind of like how it's going with quarantine and We want to mention the drinks that we're going to talk about at the top of the episode, but then once we kind of get in, we'll discuss any extra details, like if they need, you know, blending or how we made them, Mm -hmm. what they taste like, etc. So, god damn it. Okay, so I've had... (laughs) 
two people talking to me the entire time that I have been on the podcast. No one ever likes me. And all of a sudden, I start recording and everybody starts fucking calling me. (laughs) I don't know what it is. They all know. It's like they have a signal. They're like, Caitlin's recording the podcast. Let's call her. (laughs) Fuck you guys. Okay, what was I talking about? (laughs) Our drinks. Oh, yeah. So I think we've kind of decided that from now on, we're just going to keep it as simple as possible. Like. We're going to let you guys know what we're drinking, if there are any special details, but we're just going to mention it at the top of the hour. We're not going to be making fucking Bloody Marys with okra and all this other shit that we did before for you guys. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Love you, but we're some basic ass bitches. So we're sticking with the box wine and our regular vodka drinks. Yes, unless we just fill in a little... A little fancy that week and then we'll add in a recipe and because you know sometimes I'm really feeling my like spritzers and Mm -hmm. my different types of drinks but on the occasion that I want to just drink something simple like a beer or wine I want to be able to do that too and share that with you guys so I mean regardless we're still dark and we're still getting tipsy exactly so So, there's that yeah So, uh, that's all I have on him, but I do have a short little urban legend because I knew I I was going to have a short story. I want to add a little another short story here. We're here for it. So, and I also really like covering the urban legends. Me too. fun. So, this one uh, is on um, a South Carolina legend. Okay. (laughs) She is called Boo Hag. What? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I know. I know. So a boo hag. Yes. B-O-O-H-A-G. Uh, hyphen in between those. Is a mythical creature stemming from gula folklore. I don't know what that means, but mm. I just think of goulash. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. What? Like noodles and meat. Is yeah. that what? <laughs> don't mean to offend. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. The Gula are descendants of um, enslaved Africans inhabiting the low country regions of South Carolina and Georgia. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. No need to offend. No wonder you said that. Okay. I don't mean to, but (laughs) I just think of goulash. Yeah. No, that was, that was just funny. I didn't realize where you were going with that. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Two white women. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Get it. All right. Um, originating in the southern United States, this uh, version of the hag myth has been compared to vampires. But instead of drinking blood, they gain their sustenance, uh, sustenance from a person's breath. Whoa. Their stank ass breath. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> you nasty ass boo hags are out here <laughs> sucking in this morning breath <laughs> Ooh, you don't want my morning breath you, you don't Ooh, or just don't. anybody anybody holy shit you that's don't. gross i mean even hazley's my daughter's i'm like whoa girl <laughs> whoa <laughs> go in there and brush them teeth for you come in here talking to me. so boo hags mm-hmm. are skinless mm-hmm. skinless beings that creep into people's homes climb in there onto their chests and gain vitality by sucking out the person's breath and have a nasty habit of sometimes tearing off the victim's skin and wearing it to keep themselves warm. Oh, God, no. Okay, so I was going to say, 
Like, have you ever heard the rumors? So, like, my great-grandmother, even to this day, probably would tell us to never have a cat around a baby because they can suck out their soul. You know, like, have you ever heard that? Like, people don't have cats around babies. No. Like, older generations believe that cats, like, kill babies and stuff. Like, there's bad juju. Like, you're not supposed to have cats around babies because they can smother them or, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the why that started or began but that's kind of what it reminds me of minus the wearing their skin right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. um the boo hag will gain access to a home through a door window crack or hole originally the hags have no skin but they steal skin from their victims to hide their appearances the best way to protect your home from a boo hag and her lover the <laughs> the boo daddy. <laughs> no, you've got to be kidding. I swear. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yep. Boo daddy. Couldn't find any information on him except for this article that said she does have a boo daddy. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> it's to paint your window or door frames blue. Uh, no. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just not. We're just not going to do that. Maybe we'll hang up blue drapes or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so then I have this little story of someone who says that they encountered a boo hag. Uh, you know, obviously this is an urban legend. Don't take it too seriously. You take know. it with a grain of salt. <laughs> exactly. But I thought it was creepy. It was fun. It went along with the story. So we're going to get into it. Definitely. So a young man had just married a beautiful young lady who was there uh, new to a quiet town. Late one night, he was lying in bed and he heard a noise coming from the attic. He turned over to see his new wife, but she wasn't in bed beside him. Looking around the house, he couldn't find her anywhere. He only had one place left to search, the attic. I'm sorry, but if I hear noises in the attic, I'm, I am i don't want to go up there. I'm mm-hmm. like, uh... I guess Please. go. Yeah. <laughs> We're calling 911. And sorry, honey, you're going to have to just figure out if that uh-huh. kidnapper has taken you up to the attic because I'm not coming up there. Sorry, not sorry. Mm-mm. Upon reaching the top of the attic stairs, he immediately noticed the attic window wide open. Then he saw something else. The window frame wasn't painted blue. But at the time, he wasn't really um, noticing as much that he needed to have his window painted blue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he was obviously worried about where his wife might be, but he was exhausted from his long day at work. He went back to bed. So the next morning when he woke up, she was in bed fast asleep beside him. He didn't mention that what had happened, just went on about his business. That's weird. Mm-hmm. That night, he acted very tired and went to bed early. He pretended to be fast asleep when his bride walked into the bedroom. When she knew that he was asleep or thought he was asleep, she exited the room and returned downstairs. Mm. The husband snuck downstairs and watched her with fear from behind the door. She removed her clothes and sat naked at a spinning wheel. She began to pump the treadle, treadle, I don't know, I don't sew. I don't know, but I think it's the pedal, you know, that you push to like. So maybe a treadle? Mm-hmm, maybe. I don't sure. Know. I don't. <laughs> and the wheel started spinning. She pushed the little pedal, started spinning. Mm-hmm. The young woman touched her finger to the spindle 
and her skin began to wrap around it like yarn. <gasps> no. No. <laughs> no. Oof. Gross. So she began to sing, quote, spin, spin, reel off skin. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Her skin began sliding off of her body and wrapping around the spindle. The woman sat there, a fleshless, red, bloody mess. She had no eyelids and was all red muscle. Oh, Ooh. my God. No. It's creepy. Obviously, the husband watched in terror. Mm-hmm. As he knew, she was a boo hag. I just can't get over, get over the name. I can't either. Boo hag and boo daddy. Oh, God. <laughs> he made a stealthy run back to the bedroom when she was looking away. He slid into the bed and pretended to be, as- pretended to be asleep once more. The hag looked in on him as, he was- as she passed through the hall, making sure that he was still asleep. She, the hag, <laughs> it sounds so terrible. Like, I know. I feel- I feel bad for Colin. Yeah, (laughs) but this is just the story, Mm y'all. The hag continued into the attic, leaving through the window into the black of night. The husband followed and witnessed her soar out of the window. She let out a horrible laughing sound and disappeared into the dark. Like a cackle? I guess so. (laughs) Like a witch. Oh, no. (laughs) Creepy. Um, The young man knelt for a moment young man knelt for a moment sobbing about the loss of his beautiful wife oh of course because could you imagine figuring out your new wife is a boo hag figuring (laughs) out she looks like this oh no (laughs) Mm -mm, mm -mm. i'm showing caitlin just this little sketched out kind of a drawing of a boo hag which we'll also post um yeah it's pretty fucking creepy She's Ooh. all crouched over the top of someone's body. And then could you imagine that being bloody and red oh. and just muscled? No, no way. No. Ugh. no. So knowing what he had to do once he figured out what she was, he gathered the supplies. He painted the window frame blue and then he locked it from the inside. He then unreeled the skin from the spindle. So I guess there's this, um, you know, all the people that know this legend. Say that if you put salt and pepper on the skin, they not, not like they can't get back into it, but it'll burn them. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did. He took the salt and pepper and he shook it all over the inside of the flesh. The man hung it up by a nail outside the back door and then returned inside, locking the doors and um, the blue frame, you know, making sure everything was blue, mm-hmm. all the frames. At dawn, the boo hag returned to the attic window, she let out a horrendous scream at the sight of the new blue frame. She circled around the house, searching for an entry when she saw her skin. The boo hag murderously searched for her husband, but he was safely inside. With no other options and dawn approaching, she reached for her skin to return it to her body because there's something about if they don't have their skin back on in time of dawn, they die basically Mm -hmm. so they have to have their skin on she began to put it back on and it was just over her the top of her bloody skull when she felt it the salt and pepper ruthlessly burned her skin and as she let out a blood curling scream she continued screeching and clawing at her skin 
as she began trashing, uh, yes, trashing around, screaming and turning disoriented in every direction. In her confusion, she flew up into the air above the swamp into the sun and burst into a thousand pieces as they fell like rain to the murky water below. <laughs> creepy very could you imagine the person you sleep with every night is actually a boo hag like oh <laughs> and she was probably going out to see her boo daddy <laughs> mm-hmm. the entire time yes. you had no idea uh just you know for everybody out there i mean we would technically i guess be the boo hags because we're women Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was gonna say psa to all the men out there but that means that my boyfriend's gonna have to watch me at night (laughs) make sure i'm not a boo hag because i don't think so but i don't actually know so (laughs) well those were some interesting stories yeah happy we went through those those were cool creepy um little murder topic little urban legend Mm -hmm. all of you above everything that we like so Okay, so when Shyla came over today, because it's been a long time, so she came over to the house and she was able to, because you guys know I'm always talking about my plants and I'm a gardener and all this extra bullshit, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Shyla came over and she was, because I was taking forever to answer the door because I was in the middle of washing my face when she told me she was here, <laughs> she was outside looking at all my plants. So we went through everything and I showed her all my stuff and all this other stuff. And it brought up a subject for me that I wanted to bring up on the podcast. So I've seen these memes and all these people in all of my gardening groups and stuff posting about these seeds being sent from China. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? Is this like, you know, I don't know, seed warfare? I don't know what you'd call it. (laughs) (laughs) What is going on right now? I know. So apparently these seeds include mustard, cabbage, morning hibiscus, and roses were all found within the seeds, which all seem as though they are harmless plants. But experts have warned that these seeds from other parts of the world could be damaged crops. Now, you know, Texas, we have to take it to the extreme. So Texas part, Department of Agriculture urged people to be cautious. Quote, it could be bacteria. It could be another virus. <laughs> Some kind of invasive <laughs> species. Spiries, God. Remember Sperries? <laughs> yeah. Did you ever wear those? I think I did. I think I did too. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but it could be an invasive species. So everybody, PSA, if you're listening and you get these seeds from China, don't plant them or you'll end up with Venus flytraps like in the Little Shop of Horrors movie. So (laughs) try to avoid that as much as possible at all costs. And yeah, I guess everybody's going a little crazy because I thought that was kind of funny where because, you know, we're from Texas and I feel like everything in Texas is bigger and more exaggerated no matter what. it is. Definitely. And it was just funny to me that the, you know, Texas Department of Agriculture was like, it could be a bacteria. It could be a virus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitch, we've got a virus and it's enough for us to worry about. Definitely. So stop trying to creep in with these seeds from China. They don't plant have them. another scare tactic on us. <laughs> exactly. No, I feel like every media source is just kind of, or just anybody in general right now, if they can get the mo- 
the uh, news all amped up. Yeah. That's what they'll try to do. And so kind of like the, what did we talk about? The hornets? What were they? The murder Murder hornets. hornets. That's what it was. See, we've talked about multiple things during this time that Mm -hmm. has been the new big thing. And, you know, people are worried about it. But yeah, I don't know. When something starts killing 200,000 people or more in America, then you can come and talk to me about it. Because besides that, I don't give a fuck about nothing else but COVID. (laughs) (laughs) So it is what it is. So don't plant these seeds, people. Okay. So last week, the last few episodes, you know, I've just kind of, I've been on this like Candyman kick and I don't know what it is. I feel like it's becoming a little bit of an obsession. I don't know what that means. Maybe the Candyman is like working his magic on me mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. But um, today we're going to be covering the real story of the actual Candyman Ooh. and where all of the legends come from and all of the things that we've talked about, like the movies and why we all... Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but as a child, I personally, every time I went trick-or-treating and we would come home, my mother would go through all of our candy and mm-hmm. would sift through things that looked like they could have been opened or whatever. So this guy is the reason why. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for it. Hmm. My mom would do the same thing, though. Yes. No. And I feel like this is why everybody, because this actually took place in America and actually Texas. <laughs> of course. I know. Hey, so hey. I was like, oh, makes sense why I'm drawn to it. It's the Candyman and it's Texas. So. Yep. So first, we'll get into a little bit of background on the Candyman and then we'll work our way through the case. So Ronald O'Brien lived in Deer Park, Texas with his wife and two children, son Timothy and daughter Elizabeth. O'Brien worked as an optician at a Texas State Optical... At Okay, so that's the name of it. So Texas State Optical in Sharptown, Houston. He was also the deacon at his church, where he sang in the choir and was in charge of the local bus program. So... Per use, he has this persona of what seems like a religious family man who's involved in his community. Mm. You know, the typical, the ones that always be murdering everybody. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But then on Halloween 1974, O'Brien took his two children trick-or-treating in a Pasadena, Texas neighborhood. They went with a friend, kind of, you know how, like, you go to, like, the ritzy area? Like, yes. from where I'm from in Tyler, we used to always go to this little neighborhood called Holly Tree because they had the good candy, mm-hmm. you know? They had the big the candy, full-size bars. candy bars. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not the little snack mm-hmm. size. They were giving out two buttercups instead of the little ones, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you go there instead. Okay, so they went and nipped you know, visited the ritzy neighborhood and O'Brien's friend and his two children also accompanied them. So another father and their children as well also came along with O'Brien and his two children. So after visiting a home where the occupant failed to answer the door, like the lights were turned out and all of that, and all the kids, all of them went up to the neighborhood, knocked on the door, and they didn't answer. So this occupant failed to answer the door the children grew impatient and were like, you know, thank you, next, we're moving on, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and ran ahead to the next home. So O'Brien claims that he stayed behind, 
he eventually caught up with a group and produced five 21-inch pixie sticks, which he would later claim was given to him by the occupant of the house that had not answered the door. So he claimed he stayed behind, knocking at the door persistently until they cracked the door ever so slightly, only revealing a very hairy, (laughs) manly arm and a hand holding five pixie sticks, which O'Brien then took and promptly caught up with the group. So I'm not sure why you would take candy from someone who doesn't want you to see who they are, but O'Brien did. And at the end of the evening, O'Brien gave each of his, um, each of his neighbor's children a pixie stick and one to his daughter and his son, Timothy. Upon returning home, O'Brien gave the fifth pixie stick to a 10-year-old boy who he recognized from his church. So before bed, Timothy asked his father to eat some of his candy he collected. You know, like every little kid does when they're trick-or-treating. You like sit down on the floor and you sift through all of the good candy and then you leave the bad stuff behind. You know, like you want one or two good things because your parents aren't going to let you eat the entire (laughs) You want to pick out what's about to be your favorite. Exactly. So just a question for you before we move on any further. What was your favorite and least favorite? Like what were you cherry picking and what were you leaving in the back? Do you remember? Snickers was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Tootsie Rolls, least favorite. Same. I hate Tootsie Rolls. (laughs) They're the bane of my existence. So. I don't like Tootsie Rolls, Whoppers, or the cinnamon, any type of like cinnamon candy, whether mm. they're like fireballs or whatever. I those do like are, the Whoppers. Those are always staying in the bag for me. I'm <laughs> like, no, I can't get with it. I don't know what it is. I didn't like those things that kind of look like Starburst, but they weren't Starburst. They were like you an off brand. Because <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about, and I love those motherfuckers. <laughs> dots, is that what you're talking about? Because I, oh, I am offended. Aren't dots like jelly beans? Because, huh. yeah, no, fuck those. They're like, I don't know what they are. They're not jelly beans, but they're like um, the gummy candy. I definitely know I didn't I eat know. the dots. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> I like the dots. <laughs> I would go for Snickers, Reese's. See, the Reese's uh, I'm here Butterfingers. Mm-hmm. Those are Twizzlers. Good. Yes. Mm-hmm. All of the above. Okay. I can get with that. But yeah, don't be hating on my dots, okay? <laughs> so, unfortunately, so we like all of the, you know, chocolate candy and all of the stuff that we think is good. But... Since Timothy was going through all of his stuff, unfortunately, he chose the pixie sticks instead of other candies that he but had. I went with the Snickers. Ah, uh, yeah. And you know, <laughs> because I guess it was just that it was probably 21 inches and huge yeah. and he's a kid, you sense. know? Like and Hazley likes pixie sticks. I'm not a big fan of them. But no, kids just like sugar, Exactly. Though. They're like, Let me whatever. dump this packet of sugar in my mouth. Exactly. So I can be hype all night and mm-hmm. bug the shit out of you. <laughs> so, 
unfortunately, like I said, Timothy chose the pixie stick. So Timothy had trouble getting the powder candy out of the straw because it had become stuck in the packaging. So it was kind of hard. So when you actually put your mouth on it instead of just dumping it in your mouth. Yeah, it was kind of that like That drives stuck. me insane. Which <laughs> she gets those, you know, very rarely, not very often. But she'll do that instantly. Just put her whole mouth on it. I'm like, you can't do that. You're supposed to just dump it from yes. a little higher than your mouth. <laughs> So Timothy had trouble getting the powder from the candy out of the straw because it had become stuck. So O'Brien helped him loosen the powder, like ruffling the package and kind of making it to where it was, you know, loose. So Mm -hmm. he was able to do so. And after tasting the candy, Timothy complained that it had tasted bitter. So O'Brien gave his son Kool-Aid to wash the taste away. And Timothy immediately began to complain about his stomach hurting. And after this, he ran to the bathroom where he became. Sugar. Well, yeah. Kool Aid and a pixie stick. Well, it hurt my stomach. Um, <laughs> it was a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. So yes. So Timothy immediately began to complain about his stomach hurting and ran to the bathroom where he began vomiting and convulsing. So O'Brien later claimed that he held Timothy while he was vomiting and the child went limp in his arms. Timothy O'Brien Dyer dired. Oh my God. <laughs> I've had too much wine. I don't even know what's going on anymore. Timothy died while en route to the hospital. Was it Not cocaine? even an hour after consuming the candy. Was so it, was it cocaine? We'll get to it. Okay. You'll, you'll hear. You'll hear what it was. So Timothy's Ugh. death from the poisoned Halloween candy prompted fear in the community. So numerous parents in Deer Park were just in, you know, kind of a tizzy. In the surrounding area, were uh, they started returning candy from their children that they got during Halloween to the local police and fear that had been laced with poison because this was kind of the first time that anybody had ever heard anything like this. So during the autopsy, it really revealed quite a bit of information because like you said, what was in the pixie stick? Mm-hmm. So upon his autopsy, Timothy's death was found... The pixie stick was found to be laced with cyanide. So let's see. Pulling a Richard Kuklinski. Mm-hmm. I know. I was actually just <laughs> listening to that earlier. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, no. He pulled a Richard Kuklinski. So police initially suspected O'Brien, or I'm sorry, did not initially suspect O'Brien of any wrongdoing until Timothy's autopsy revealed that the pixie stick that he consumed was laced with fatal doses of potassium cyanide. So four of the five pixie sticks O'Brien claimed to receive were recovered from authorities from other children, and thank the Lord, none of them had consumed them. The parents of the fifth child became hysterical when they could not locate the candy upon police calling their house and informing them of what had happened. Because at this point, they realized that, you know, O'Brien's child, Timothy, had had this happen and they're calling everybody who has been in contact with the pixie sticks. The parents rushed upstairs to find their son asleep holding the unconsumed candy. Oh. The boy had been unable to open the staples that sealed the wrapper shut. So oh. he, could you imagine oh. 
being those parents freaking out, searching the entire house, all through the bags, just to go upstairs to see that your child had fallen asleep with this piece of candy in their hand only because, only because I they couldn't, couldn't get, get it, it open. Oh, that is nope. so scary and nope. like, oh, no. But I'm surprised that they could even detect the cyanide because you remember from our episode three, if you haven't listened to it, Richard Kuklinski, they say that cyanide is so hard to detect on autopsies and stuff because it looks like, I don't remember what, if you remember what. I, I can't remember. I don't either. But, you know, go back and listen to episode yeah. three. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was episode three or so. It was. And it was really good and interesting. And he's one of my favorites. So. Hmm. Okay, so what I will say is that you're about to hear why they were able to see oh, it. Well, shit. In, Let me yeah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was a good question because sometimes you can't see it. And here's why. So all five of the pixie sticks had been opened with the top two inches and then refilled with cyanide powder. So that's a lot of fucking cyanide. So according to the pathologist who tested the pixie sticks, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. How old was Timothy? Timothy. Like five probably. I can't remember. I don't know if I said earlier. Let me see. I mean, either way, he ain't an adult. If no. he's still trick-or-treating, he's probably under 10. Yes, definitely. He was definitely under the age of 10 at this time. So all five of the picky. 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 Oh picky stick. God, what the fuck is going on with me? <laughs> if you're picky, have a picky stick. <laughs> yep. So all five of the pixie sticks had been opened with the top two inches refilled with cyanide powder and were released or were resealed with stapled. What a motherfucker. Were re oh my god. Were resealed with staples. According to the pathologist who tested the pixie sticks, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults, while the other four candies contained dosages that could kill three to four adults. Oh so that's God. why they were able to find it and trace it within okay. the dead bodies, because he just went overkill, basically. Um, he included so much cyanide that like there was no chance for... A little child, let alone two to three adults, eating this pixie stick. So Insane. Mm -hmm. O'Brien initially told police that he could not remember which house he got the pixie sticks from. Police became suspicious of his excuses because O'Brien and his neighbor had only taken their children to homes on two streets. Because it had been raining that night, so they kind of, you know, took a short route and... Only covered a couple of streets. So the police were like, why can't you remember where you got these pixie sticks from this manly arm? You know, I don't remember where I take <laughs> Hazley trick or treating. I mean, I know kind of, but I could never but tell you if you only took her two streets and it started raining. You couldn't yeah. tell the police. Hey, I, mean, I would have a good streets. general go check every single house on those two streets. Yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah. So like he just was flabbergasted and just couldn't remember shit all of a sudden. Mm. So. <laughs> Mm -mm -mm. exactly so after they took him out to these areas and after walking the neighborhood with the police three times o'brien led them to a home that the group had visited but whose occupants did not answer oh my god <laughs> but 
who did not answer the door. O'Brien claimed that he revisited the home before catching up with the group. So like I was saying earlier, he claimed that this person, you know, cracked the door and just stuck out this hairy arm of this man and took these pixie sticks and he's taking no responsibility whatsoever. So when the police go around and are looking at the different homes and the one that he finally pointed out, like, yes, that's the house. That was where the hairy arm came from. (laughs) (laughs) The police decided to check into who actually owned the house. So the home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. Melvin was an air force or I'm sorry, an air traffic controller at some airport Um, And he didn't get home that day until 11 p.m. on Halloween night. So police were able to rule Melvin out as a suspect. So, you know, there goes his alibi and hairy arm guy because Mm. Melvin wasn't home and that was not the home that he visited. And police, you know, obviously were able to rule that out really quickly. So as their investigation furthered, police learned that Ronald O'Brien was over $100,000 in debt and had a history of not being able to hold a job. So, you know, he was in a little bit of a crunch at this point in time, which, same, like, (laughs) yeah, got a lot of debt, you know, don't know, but maybe not the job history issue, but a lot of people are in debt. But, you know, so in the last 10 years proceeding to the crime, O'Brien held 21 jobs, and at the time of his arrest, he was suspected of theft at his job at Texas State Optical and was close to being fired at this time. His car was also about to be repossessed, and he had defaulted on several bank loans and had the family home foreclosed on. So police discovered that O'Brien had taken out life insurance policies on his children in the months preceding Timothy's death. In January 1974, he had taken out a $10,000 loan, which is the equivalent of around $50,000 now, um, life insurance policies on both of the children, And one month before Timothy's death, O'Brien took out an additional $20,000 policy on both of the children, despite the objections of the life insurance agency. Show. Yeah. Something's going on. Mm -hmm. Well, and it just seems a little weird. Like, who has life insurance policies on their children that are that large? Because why would you be suspecting that they... You know, like, I I just, most people just don't do that. That's just not the norm. Yeah. So, in days preceding Timothy's death, O'Brien had taken out, like I said, another $20,000 policy on each child. The various policies totaled approximately to $60,000 each. Wow. Police also learned that on the morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien had called their insurance company to inquire about collecting the policies he had taken out on his son. Hmm. So not not even like a day later, the morning after he died, he was calling about these insurance policies, which, you know, just a little red flag, just, you know, going off there. (laughs) I'd say. Mm-hmm. 
So after learning all of this, um, they started to do a little bit more research into O'Brien. And they learned that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store in Houston um, and wanted to know, you know, how to buy cyanide. And shortly before Halloween of 1974, so police began to suspect that Ronald O'Brien actually could have killed his son because of this tip from whoever worked at this chemical supply store kind of, you know, tipped them off saying like, hey, he was in here asking about cyanide and maybe you guys should look into him. So police theorized that O'Brien had laced the candies with poison in an effort to kill his children to collect on their life insurance policies. They believed that he had given the other children the candy in effort to cover up his crimes. The other children never consumed the candy. Police reportedly questioned O'Brien, but he maintained his innocence. So basically, he was trying to cover up the crimes of his children, trying to collect on those by also killing other children and making it seem like a bigger plot. I know. Douchebag. He wants to be over here talk, acting like, you know, I don't know shit about fuck, you know, but he's over here being the one that's doing it. Well, and remember, he at literally helped his child loosen the cyanide yeah. powder into his mouth. Let me help you, hon. Knowing what he had put in there. So, although police never discovered when or exactly where O'Brien bought the poison, he was arrested for Timothy's murder on November 5th of 1974. Good. Yes, so he was indicated in one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. O'Brien entered a plea of not guilty to all five counts, mm. and O'Brien's trial began in May on May. Oh my God! On May fifth, nineteen seventy-five. <laughs> we'll get it eventually. Yes, eventually. So during the trial, a chemist who was acquainted with O'Brien testified that in summer of nineteen seventy-three, O'Brien contacted him asking about cyanide and how fatal it would be. Yes. <laughs> so a chemical supply salesman also testified that O'Brien had asked him how to purchase cyanide. So two different accounts, two different people. Yeah. Also, both topics were cyanide. So he's looking pretty guilty. You're here. not covering your tracks very well. Not at all. So friends and co-workers testified that in the months before Timothy's death, O'Brien showed an unusual interest in cyanide, like we just talked about, <laughs> and spoke about how much it would take to kill a person regularly. So he's not very smart. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Not at all, because also O'Brien's sister-in-law and brother-in-law testified that in the days of Timothy's funeral... O'Brien spoke of using the money from Timothy's insurance policy to take a vacation and buy a bunch of other items and just so like he's not even seeming sad at all. Yeah. He's just talking about his new life and all the shit he's going to buy while he's at his son's funeral. So at this point, O'Brien continued to maintain his innocence, but the police weren't buying it. And, you know, at this point, he's arrested and all of that so he's his defense mainly consisted of um you know his lawyer was trying to throw in there that there are all these rumors and old urban legends about mad poisoners who hand out halloween candy 
laced with poison and needles and candle apple or candy apples and all this other shit. So these stories have persisted despite the fact that there was no documented instance of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. So what he's trying to say is that all of these things were rumors and were hot stories prior to what he did. And these stories have persisted despite the fact that there has never been any evidence of this actually happening, which I don't, I don't understand because they can prove that there was cyanide in the candy that you gave to your kids. So like, I don't see what your point is. And talking about the fact that people talk about urgent urban legends and rumors like, duh, that's what fucking people do. Mm -hmm. Old ass people from, I don't don't know about anywhere else, but in Texas, that's all the things that old women have to do. Sit at home (laughs) and gossip and tell us about all the shit that's happened. Tell their grandkids spooky stories. Exactly. So on June 3rd, 1975, a jury reviewed all of this, you know, evidence and, okay, so wait, let me back up a little bit. The case at this point had gathered some large and national attention and the press had dubbed O'Brien at this point the candy man so that's where all of this comes into play so on June 3rd of 1975 a jury took only 46 minutes to find O'Brien guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder and the jury took 71 minutes to sentence him to death Hmm. so a little bit over an hour that's crazy because, you know, most death sentences take oh, quite some time for people to decide whether or not they're all on the same page. Because you've got to convince everyone on the jury mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to make that happen. So that's pretty, you know, that's saying something that they really thought that he was just that bad. And this is Texas, baby. So we'd be sentencing everybody to death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we do everything bigger and better. Exactly. According to Reverend Carol Pickett, a former chaplain who worked for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, O'Brien was shunned and despised by his fellow death row inmates for killing children and was absolutely friendless up until the very end. So much so that the inmates reportedly petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on O'Brien's execution day to express their hatred for him. Yeah, so being that O'Brien's execution date was pushed back over and over again because his defense tried everything that they could in order to keep him from being sentenced to the death penalty. They also argued that lethal injection was inhumane and all of these other things. Now, like I just said, we are Texas babies, so we don't give a fuck what you think. We gonna execute anybody. (laughs) Don't hear that accent. We're Texas baby. Texas baby. We don't give a fuck. (laughs) Um, No, seriously, they don't care. And if you're planning on committing a crime, I would just suggest not doing it here (laughs) because your ass is going to end up in... I was going to say in the electric chair, but they don't do that anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have the option, but I don't think very many people go with that. <laughs> um, you'll end up having lethal injection. So if you're planning on committing a crime, don't do it here. 
Uh, so let's see. Like I said, it got pushed back over and over again. And one of the judges became so irritated with this that he actually set the date for his execution. It was the third or I'm sorry, the eighth anniversary of his crime. So he set it for October 31st, 1982. So it's eight years prior to the crime on the day was when he was supposed to be executed. And he offered to personally drive O'Brien to the death chamber because he was so tired of him being, you know, let off and his lawyer arguing that it was inhumane and all this other shit. So that's how much the people of Texas and judges despise this man. So fun fact, O'Brien's death and execution was actually the first time Texas executed an inmate by lethal injection. Well, yes. Well, you know what also was inhumane was killing your own fucking child with cyanide. So fuck your inhumane. Exactly. <laughs> Could have been done a lot worse. Specifically in this case, I totally agree. So on March 31st, 1984, shortly after midnight, O'Brien was executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville Unit Prison. In his final statements, O'Brien maintained his innocence, stating that he felt that the death penalty was wrong. He added, quote, I forgive all, and I do mean all. Those who have been involved in my death, God bless you all. And may God bless... <laughs> And may God best blessings be always yours. Quote. Get fucked. I know. Like, you killed your kids. Nobody cares. Mm -mm. Like, we sentenced you to death for a reason. Nobody's even listening to you anymore. Mm -mm. We're just ready for you to die. So some people apparently were, you know, still interested in the case, though. Because during the execution, a crowd of 300 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison cheering while some yelled, quote, trick or treat. Others showered anti-death penalty demonstrations with candy and like, you know, so like there were basically two different types of people there. There were the people who are happy that he was being executed and everyone was screaming trick or treat. And then there were the other protesters who saw, you know, that they didn't agree with the anti-death penalty and they were demonstrating with candy. So it was a big demonstration for someone who had been executed and being that it was the first execution within Texas that also took place per legal injection. So mm. very big case when it yeah. comes to, you know, the first for a lot of stuff. So O'Brien is buried in... Forest Park East Cemetery in West or in Webster. Yeah, Webster, Texas. Timothy is buried in Forest Park Lawndale Cemetery in Houston. And that's really it for all I have for the case and how it all ended. And um, yeah, so that's really it for the Candyman this week. So O'Brien was the first legal injection of Texas and I just thought it was really interesting being that we had been talking about the Candyman for the last couple of weeks because I didn't realize that he was from Texas yeah and where the story came from and the candy lady was Texas yes too, I know so. so who knew maybe there's a whole correlation with candy in Texas I don't know 
For some reason, our killers like to incorporate that. Don't know what it's about. Mm -mm. No, if you're a little kid and someone offers you candy, (laughs) now you know. Not that we hope that. Yeah, no, I hope that younger people are not listening to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Now their parents are going to be like, no, Mm -mm. no, 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 absolutely not. We say fuck too much. So, (laughs) yeah, if you're under the age of like 15, please don't listen to our podcast. But. Yeah, so Mature that's audience where the only. legend of the Candyman comes from, and that's all I've got. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Me too. Yeah, no, when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I had no idea. I have to tell this on the podcast. <laughs> well. Okay, so now that we're done with all of that, we're going to actually include a new little segment for the week and every week moving forward. Uh, or if you guys like it or have any new suggestions or anything of that case, obviously we're always open to switching shit up because (laughs) whatever, like whatever works is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're not sticking to one thing. Apparently we're just going to hop around until, you know, maybe forever. We're just going with the (laughs) flow. Like it is what it is and we'll figure out how it works as we go along and with suggestions from you guys. So one of our, Listeners actually decided or suggested that we should do a safety tip of the week. And I thought that it was a really great idea. So at the end of each podcast, we're going to try to kind of incorporate something that you guys can do in order to keep yourself safe. So my tip for any of our listeners who have iPhones is actually an emergency SOS system on an iPhone It's a feature that allows you to immediately call emergency services after you quickly press the power button five times in a row. So you're on and off screen where you go to, you know, type in your passcode and stuff on the little side where you press it on and it turns your screen on and then you can put in your passcode. So you'll click that five different times, not the home button, but the one on the side. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about if you have an iPhone. (laughs) So you click it five times in a row, and after pressing the the button five times, an emergency SOS slider will appear on your screen. That way you can just quickly swipe right or left, whatever the fuck it is, (laughs) and then you can call 911 just in case someone's trying to kidnap you. So you hit your little five buttons, or hit your little button five times, and then you can call the police immediately. So that's something that I always thought was really neat if you were ever in a pinch and couldn't actually dial 911. So Shyla, what do you have for the listeners? I have a different one, but I also want to mention that I did have a phone that kind of did something similar. Um, I don't know if they're still making them. I would think so, but it was a Moto Z2 Force or some bullshit like that. Anyway, it was kind of the same concept. You would press it three times and it would send... Um, Three of the people you have on the your, your contact list that you've chosen for this emergency alert, it would send them a picture from your front camera, your back camera, a like um, 10, maybe 20 second voice recording and your exact location at that time. Ooh. So that was a really interesting thing. Of course, now I don't have that phone anymore. I have the note and I haven't found any cool little things like that to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did find a little attack type thing I thought was kind of cool and something that would help someone. Yeah, in a it pinch. could help someone in a pinch. 
And it's called escaping from a bear at- bear hug attack. So for cases when an attacker might be coming at you from behind, you can use this move. This move. So um, if they come and they, they hug around your waist, bend forward from the waist. This shifts your weight forward, making it more difficult for your attacker to pick you up. It also gives you a better angle to start throwing elbows. So literally just whatever, back and forth or just one, throw those elbows mm-hmm. hard as you fucking can. Um, turn into the attacker with one of your elbows, just continuing this counterattack. This gives you space to turn fully around using another move to injure the face or strike even the growing area. Basically, whatever you got to do. So mm-hmm. to start throwing elbows behind you while you're bent the over. The force <laughs> that an elbow has. Yes. Just use it at, to your advantage. Well, and have you ever seen like UFC fights and stuff where like they'll throw elbows and shit and mm-hmm. those elbows be slicing them yes. foreheads. Oh my yes. God. They just gush blood immediately. Like, Jesus Christ. Powerful. Powerful elbows out there. (laughs) Yes. No, definitely. So if you get the chance to use them when someone is trying to attack you from behind. Don't forget to use them. Do so. Yes. Because we need you here and we need you listening and we don't want anybody getting kidnapped. So anything we can do to help, we will absolutely inform you guys about. So every podcast will have a new little tip. Um, Actually, I was trying to anyway. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no actually i was trying to teach shyla earlier about a move that my brother taught me who was in the marines um and he taught me how to flip other people over your back and (laughs) we realized after a few drinks it's probably not something we should be practicing (laughs) so um if you ever have time to look that up look that up on youtube it's not that difficult actually which i was surprised but um you know, do the best that you can to protect yourselves. And that's really it for what we have this week. And we hope everybody is staying dark and, and getting tipsy. Exactly. Cause we're pretty lit and we appreciate you guys for listening. So thanks so much for tuning in this week and bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>